Hi and welcome to the Digital Accessibility Podcast sponsored by PCR Digital who provide people-centric recruitment. Throughout this series I'll be interviewing professionals who work within the field of accessibility to share their expertise, journeys and general thoughts on the key issues facing the industry today. My aim is to provide an in-depth look into the world of digital accessibility and the impact it has on everyone. The goal is to bridge the skills gap in the current market and inspire other people to join the movement towards a more accessible digital world. So whether you're a seasoned professional or just starting out, I hope that this platform will provide you with valuable insights and practical advice from experts and advocates within this extremely important community. So sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy the chat. Today, I'm joined by Sean Connor, who is Accessibility and Inclusion Strategy Manager at Monzo Bank, the bank that lives on your phone, who are on a mission to make money work for everyone. Sean has also worked as an accessibility lead for the HMRC and spent 11 years within development and leadership for the NHS. He's an excellent keynote speaker, experienced front-end developer, uh, specialising in web accessibility, digital inclusion and accessibility standards. Welcome to the podcast, Sean. Thank you very much. That's a, a very flattering. When you read it like that, it sounds like I've done loads, but I promise you it's not that, uh, it's not that impressive. <laughs> Well, it, I, 11 years of working through the ranks at the, well, nearly 12 years working through the ranks at the NHS. I think that's impressive to, that'd be impressive to most people. Um, it's, that's the, I mean, it, no one can tell you you're not loyal or committed to the cause, right? Well, that's it. And it's, it's weird when you, you're in a place like that, because you almost become a little bit institutionalized. And then when I was looking for like, uh, a new job i realized actually the world outside of this there's like much higher paying jobs for this line of work so there you go yeah interesting stuff but then so i guess um obviously being the accessibility a digital accessibility podcast um, i was the first question i was going to ask you is um if you can tell us a bit about your first experience with digital accessibility um and if it was a passion from day one you get a lot of passionate people in the space or if it's something that took you some time to sink in because i know that like i said your backgrounds in this sort of development and technical kind of space yeah so it's a good question and it, when i um so while i was working at the nhs um i went to there was a conference and i think it was called future gov um if you've heard of that it's they were like a, a really good conference and um, it was just, it wasn't a, an accessibility conference, but one of the speakers who was there was called uh, Kat McCauley. Um, and Kat was head of design at the Scottish government. Um, and she was a very sweary Glaswegian who was just fed up. Um, and she was disabled as well. And she, she talked very passionately about, um, like, it, first of all, it was around like physical barriers and, you know, like, uh, you know, accessible toilets and hotel rooms and, and then she sort of transitioned into the, the digital side of it um, and just talking about how really there's no need for, for any of this stuff to be inaccessible because we have the technology now to make things fully accessible. Um, so I was sat at this conference and I just remember sitting there so inspired by like, the talk and, you know, she was effing and blinding and it was very like, you know, <laughs> right down my street. Um, and as you know, I remember thinking in the moment when she was talking, I'm like, well, I'm, I'm a front end developer. Like I can fix almost everything that she's talking about here. Um, and I know how to do that. So, you know, I met Kat after the talk and I was speaking to her for a little while and I'm like, listen, that has just lit a fire under me. Um, because you know, I can, I can take what you've experienced and, and start to fix some of this stuff. Um, so I came away from that conference and at the time, uh, I mean, I had a small team of front end developers, um, and I was sort of advocating for it. And then, uh, in 2018, the public sector accessibility regs came in. So it was like, all right, okay. I, I know all this stuff, but now we legally have to do it. So it almost by accident became my job. And because, you know, I was inspired by cat and started running, um, accessibility talks at the NHS and then with the public sector regs, uh, when all that stuff come in, it was yeah. like, right, well, I get to do this as part of my job now. Um, so went on after that to lead like the full 
remediation piece at the NHS. So there was a lot of things that we needed to fix. Um, we had to put accessibility statements on like literally hundreds of services. Um, the second part of that was like, uh, going and fixing some of the stuff. So it meant upskilling some of the team and, and suddenly I found myself in a sort of accessibility leadership role and, um, I enjoyed it at the NHS, but it, it wasn't very mature as a process. Right. Um, you know, it, it didn't really have the the top down support that it needed, um, which ultimately meant that I left and joined HMRC, uh, where, as you say, I, I was a accessibility lead there. So, uh, much, much sort of better set up there was one of the bigger accessibility teams in government. Um, and I led the auditing and assurance team. So my team was like seven people. Then there was, I think the same on, on another team around compliance and governance. And then there was more people and contractors and stuff. So, um, it was a breath of fresh air when I went there and it was like, actually these, like these folks know what they're doing with this stuff. Um, and then obviously now I've, I've, I've joined Monzo to focus on strategy. So yeah. it's it it became a passion i suppose that is that to answer your question like and, and as soon as you know like this industry there's people slam doors in your face all day every day and uh i'm i'm a very stubborn person and i just think you know what keep slamming the doors i'll keep opening them again and yeah. um it's it was sort of a match for my personality i suppose <laughs> i think it's funny you say that because obviously being a recruiter you can imagine the stigma behind recruiters constantly banging on people's doors and getting the doors slammed in their face maybe i'm just glutton for punishment <laughs> recruiter in accessibility well, like, <laughs> but it, well i know you get a double whammy um <laughs> but I, it's funny because i was talking to um jamie a friend of mine who also works in accessibility and we come up with this analogy about like our jobs as accessibility professionals is almost to become those like metal things that you put on doors that stop doors from slamming. And then eventually <laughs> people stop trying to slam the door because they just think, well, this is pointless. It's just going to slowly shut. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, but it, you know, like I live and breathe this stuff now and it's for the past eight years, it's all I've done. And like, it's, you know, we've came a long way and it's, it's good to see the progress, but there's just still so much to do. Absolutely. And I think you'll find that hopefully not, but um, most people I've, speak, I've spoken to that have been in the space for 20 odd years and they're just like, yeah, we've seen progress, but there's still so much to do. And it's, it's I think it's mm. always going to be the case. There's no full stop, I don't think, because tech's always going to keep changing. People's needs are going to keep evolving. So I think it's more, as we keep saying on this podcast, it's about the mindset and getting people sort of engaged with it and understand that there is an ever evolving need for people that focus on this stuff um definitely yeah. it's um and, and i feel sorry for anyone who's been doing it for 20 years still telling people to add all text to images but yeah i suppose <laughs> you just have to be a certain type of person to just keep on keeping on with it um which yeah. is why you find a lot of passionate people like who, who do this line of work because it's like right well it's the right thing to do we'll just keep shouting about it yeah and it's horrible because the first word that came into my mind going to use to coin a phrase from from craig abbott um who i know you you know personally as well um when he was on the podcast he said the unfortunate thing is when i'm looking for people to work in accessibility the first word that came to mind was resilience and then when you think about these people that have been in the space for 20 odd even yourself eight plus years it's um yeah. it does it does go hand in hand unfortunately i think it's like yeah you've got to be resilient you've just got to keep on keeping on <laughs> keep keep banging down those doors you do. And it's, you know, I remember I listened to Craig's podcast. I thought it was brilliant, by the way. Um, and, you know, Craig talking about resilience, like if for me, you can be the most resilient person in the world and eventually like it's going to get on top of you. So, and I, that, I think that's where all the burnout stuff comes from, right? That, like we just, we want to keep on keeping on and it just gets too much. So, mm. yeah. Interesting stuff. This isn't a question I've already posed to you, Sean. So I'm apologizing. I'm going to add another one in there. But it sounds like you almost got a bit of a lucky head start with attending that FutureGov talk, hearing um, CAP talk, and then going back to the NHS where you said it wasn't very mature, there wasn't the support top down. So your inroads to accessibility probably helped the NHS on their way to becoming a bit more um, sort of focused in that in that area. So I guess by the time you left, did you feel that that maturity was starting to grow? Or definitely. So you know, while I was there. Uh, off the back of the the remediation pro, uh, project, we, you know, we implemented certain things. So there was like things had to be signed off before they went into production um, around the technical compliance of stuff. And it was, you know, it was getting there, but I think the problem at the NHS was nobody wanted to own accessibility. 
Like it just was this sort of hot potato that would land in somebody else's lap and then they would be like, absolutely not. I'm not having any of this. And then it would get passed to the next person. And when you're trying, especially from a elite position to like shout up about accessibility and they're not shouting down, then you're on like a, a certain path to failure. Uh, with yeah. this stuff and, and and I did burn out very quickly at the end of that because I'm like I'm fine to keep shouting about it but I need other people to at least have my back yeah. um, and you know like I, I spoke about this at a conference that I was at in Sweden uh, a few weeks ago and I was just saying I could probably find an old NHS service that we fixed that, and we published an accessibility statement on to say like right we'll fix this by I don't know September 2019 and that statement won't have been updated. So, you know, as wow. much as we've done the work up front, um, it didn't have what it needed to continue and, you know, start assuring some of this stuff. So it might be better now. I mean, that was a few years ago, but certainly when I left, it was, um, I was disappointed. And I, and I sort of took some of the responsibility for that because I'm like, well, I'm, I'm the one who's trying to drive this. But like, you know, anybody who's worked in this line of work will know that you need buy-in for this stuff. Like it just, mm-hmm. it doesn't, it doesn't just happen like with one person certainly not yeah i was gonna say you can't you can't you can't fight it's, it's trying to win a win a war with a one-man army like you can't you, you just can't take that on um no amount of resilience is gonna help you win that battle unfortunately but um <laughs> great that you started them on that on that path so that's that's all good um so the next part, I believe that you were part of the team that worked to get the DDAT um, accessibility specialist role description together when you were at the HMRC. Um, and a couple of weeks ago, I was at Accessibility Scotland, um, and Beverly Newing was was talking about that. And, and so I know that you've worked alongside and, and things as well. So just wanted to know a bit more from my perspective as a recruiter, why that was important for you to get something together and but and why it was so hard to actually implement that um in yeah shout out to Bev by the way she is a, a lovely human I've been talking to her actually over the last couple of days uh coincidentally but yeah so uh, around the um the accessibility specialist that was led actually by um Dave, David Caldwell and uh, Beverly so they sort yeah. of spearhead that and I was part of the uh, focus group so the focus group was made up of like different government departments and why why this was so important was because and i've seen this everywhere i've worked like everybody approaches accessibility in different ways um which is fine you know there's no right or wrong way to do it um and we're, we're all still trying to figure this out especially off the back of the the public sector accessibility regulations yeah. um so we had to come up with some sort of job description that would work for more or less everybody so I was part of one of the bigger accessibility teams. So we, um, there was two of us who went myself and Wojciech. So Wojciech was part of the, the governance, um, side of it. And I would lead the auditing team. Um, and then you had people, I think we had somebody from department of for education, uh, uh, Kev was there who ran accessibility Scotland. So he was part of it. There was like quite a few of us. Um, and it was good because it just meant that we could come to like a general consensus of what we thought this role should look like. Um, and, and of course it was important because like everyone, you know, we, we had teams who like, we legally have to do this now. So just like you would have a front end developer, the idea was that we would have an accessibility specialist and, you know, it was a, it was a route in to accessibility, which was good. And then it was also a route for people to progress within the profession as well, which was, you know, just as important. Um, and it was it was an interesting project. Like it, I, th- I think at one point, uh, the job description was very much looking like a, a front end developer. Um, so there was a lot of back and forth around, like you know, what should this role look like? And as much as you know, I would say the technical skills are important. Like my view on it is that we should have more user researchers, content designers, like you know, varied experience in there. Like it doesn't really always have to rely on just being a technical person. Um, so getting that balanced, right, was, was, um, really important and, you know, we we got a first version of it out and I think that's worth pointing out as well that the, what you see on there on the accessibility, uh, specialism is, was meant to be taken by departments and add, you know, add to it or create your own roles off the back of it. It was just, um, like a structure really for, for teams to recruit. Um, but it's, it was just amazing to get that added to the DDAF framework because it just added credibility to the profession. Um, 
which, you know, we spend a lot of time shouting about why we need accessibility specialists. And now to be part of that data framework was, you know, it's, it's, it's a massive success. And probably one of the things I'm most proud of in my career has been part of that group to get that done. I mean, I, I only, uh, I think I was looking at the governance side of it, which was probably the most boring side of it, but, um, we got it done. And I just think, you know, to collaborate across many different departments as well and come to an agreement was like a massive success for everyone involved. So, yeah. um, I'm excited to see over the next couple of years, how that changes and how we improve it over time. I think it's also for, from my perspective, obviously job specs that and job descriptions, they're <laughs> a daily occurrence for me. And we actually spoke pre recording, um, about certain job specs and especially in the private sector, how convoluted and complicated and, um, daunting they can be because even if you have half the skills that they've listed because they're not really sure they know what they're asking for it can put so many applicants off it can put people it can make a lot of people think i don't think that's quite right for me or that may be <clears throat> that i'm biting off more than i can chew you know i don't i think that's a team of people not just you know i can't go in there and do that especially for the salary they're offering you know so i think yeah. to get that in the public sector we definitely need to try and start pushing that into the private as well and just being like right you know take take that by example and just say right okay well we need to set some edges um if you set those boundaries and be like right these are the key key elements that people should and and will need to have to be successful in the role then people feel more comfortable applying they'll feel yeah that's an achievable role i'm gonna gain something from it i can progress within that rather than Oh my god i'm burnt out just reading the spec before i even start you know so um yeah it's a great i think what an what amazing achievement and you were part of the uh accessibility x-men or avengers you know great group of people uh, well <laughs> the, the people who are far better than now was in that group i mean but this this was it as well and it was just i think well, what we're starting to see now is like a lot of places will model around like wk and you know particularly around design systems and like the data framework is very much the same. So private firms are looking and look at what a good team should look like. So the yeah. fact that, you know, accessibility is now part of that. Um, and then of course you've got the, the European accessibility act coming in in 2025, which you would, you know, the, the cynical side of me thinks, well, nobody's going to listen to that and they'll just pretend it hasn't happened, but what realistically should happen and what I would hope would happen is that firms then go, actually, we need like an accessibility team because we have to do this legally now. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that unfolds, but, um, really, really solid group of people who've done that and it landed pretty well as well. So, you know, the, we only had five or six departments like involved in actually doing that. And of course, government is massive. So yeah. there was a risk that we sort of put it out there for, to get other people's opinions. And they were like, oh my God, you've got this all wrong. Um, yes. but we kept it quite high level and I think that's why it worked. Um, Brilliant. so yeah. I think that, yeah, it's, if you can, I know it's not a simple job to describe or explain and because there are so many moving parts and different areas of focus within accessibility, digital accessibility or physical or social, but how, yeah, it, that must, it's a big job that needed to be done. So it's great that you were part of that, like you say. Um, and as I mentioned in the intro, you, you're, you have quite a heavy development and technical background. I know you're less, less so sort of hands on tech at the minute, but you like to keep up with things. I actually saw you posted not a lot, not too long ago about Daniel, uh, Debes, Dirksen starts from, uh, Spotify, the iOS engineer who wrote writing accessible iOS applications. So he's a guy that I'd love to have on the podcast when we're working at it. Um, so I know that you're keeping up to date with stuff, but, um, there, I think, I think that there's a bit of a misconception that tech and development is the hotspot. That's where digital accessibility responsibility lies. That's a tongue twister. Um, the responsibility lies with technical or development teams. But do you agree as a leader in the space that, uh, you know, that, that that's where it should lie? Or what do you think needs to be done uh, to kind of share and split that responsibility out? Yeah, it's... <laughs> So yeah, that, I mean, that is a, a real misconception and, you know, my position on it is that accessibility is everybody's responsibility. Um, most people don't know that. So, you know, I, I think a, a big part of what I do is educating people around the role that they can play, um, and ensuring that they're embedding accessibility at the right times. So, 
that could be product managers, delivery managers, designers, developers, testers, content, like, you know, across the spectrum of the, of the product and even outside of the product as well. Like, um, one of the bits that I did at Monzo was like, um, training our customer service, uh, representatives, how to speak to disabled people, like, you know, and so it, it, you know, everybody has got a role to play in this. And I suppose that as a developer, like, yes, I could fix a lot of this stuff, but also like developers try to be smart and developers break more than they fix. So, um, you know, I'm throwing shit on developers here, but (laughs) I would, you know, it was me who would have to go in and often fix some of this stuff. So, um, but again, it's, it's an education piece. And I think like, um, one of the things that we did at HMRC, so, you know, the GovUK design system is arguably one of the most accessible, best built design systems that there is. Um, but we were finding that teams were making the same mistakes over and over and over again. So, you know, what we did was used, we, we would log all of our, um, accessibility issues in Jira and uh, not Jira, sorry, in GitHub. Um, and what that meant that we could do is we could hit the GitHub API, um, and look at all of the audits that we've ever done, um, and pull them down by, by tag. And we could create this nice little front end that said, um, you know, the most failed thing was something like error messages or, uh, inputs and. We got all of this amazing data where we could go back and say, well, actually, like we need to do a session with the content designers because we're not uh, doing very well with our error messages, or we would have to go to our developers and say, you know, you keep breaking radio buttons. Like, can we teach you how to do this properly? Yeah. Um, so again, it's, it, you know, it's, it's doing it within the context of like, what, like what are the real problems here? And I think taking an approach like that, like it helps teams understand as well. Like, you know, oh, actually this is my responsibility. And doing things like role-based training. Um, but again, like it has to be, you have to have a top-down approach to this. And like one of the mistakes I made early on in my career was I tried to sort of embed accessibility into teams. So I would, I would go to a team and say like, you know, right, this is your job. And we would do all this interest and, you know, you spend all this time training the team. And then two weeks later, we would, uh, they would leave and somebody else would come in and it was like, oh, actually, hang on, which I'm doing this the wrong way here. So then I'll roll it up a level and be like, well, actually, why don't we just embed into practice? So, you know, rather than hit individual teams, start getting in amongst uh, communities of practice. Um, so one week we would go and sit in front of the, the automation testers or the next week it would be designers. And this is still something I do at Monzo now. Like I will, I would much rather do it that way. And then you increase your reach as well. And um, you can start measuring, you know, are you still seeing the same fails off the back of it? Um, so. But ultimately, like it's 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 all about your users, and for me, it has to start with research. Like, if if we if we want research, and before it even kicks off, then you're almost setting yourself up to fail. Like you would have heard this time and time again, but it's you know, and from my my experience, it's accessibility is always considered too late in the process. Like, mm-hmm. what's the earliest, the absolute earliest opportunity you can get in? That's usually like discovery slash research. Like, start from there and build around that. Absolutely, um, yeah. But getting that sort of culture change, especially in somewhere like government, is really challenging. Like trying to shift the needle. I hate to use like horrible turns of phrases like that, but <laughs> uh, like trying to do that at that scale is, you know, Craig talked about this as well. It's it's very hard to change culture uh, at somewhere that big. Mm. Um, and I've been extremely fortunate at Monzo that it's a much smaller company. Like I've nailed, we've got the culture absolutely down there. Like it's I have no problems whatsoever. So, um, yeah, I think it's having that appetite, isn't it? I think it's quite, it's tricky to measure that with something as huge as government, but like you say, uh, Monzo, you can quite, well, I'm not going to say it's easy because I'm not doing your job, Sean, but, um, it, you can, you probably start to see that appetite across the board, uh, more clearly. And I think it's more of a, I'd assume Monzo's got a bit more of a, a startup feel. I mean, obviously, government's been around for God knows. Um, so it, 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 I think that the appetites there in the sort of younger companies that in, in the public sector that are sort of on the pulse, you know, they can see that this is needed. They can see that there's benefits to their business as well for implementing accessibility and making sure that their, you know, products and services are usable by everyone. But um, it's interesting because what you were saying, 
on the role-based training and how you sort of try to implement it across teams it sounds like you're like the one-man band consultant that's like right I've got the knowledge I'm going to try and consult all of these different areas and these different teams less so taking it all on board people emailing you as the head of accessibility and fix this for me you know I think that's where it lies it's got to be training workshops learning and development e-learning even and make it compulsory but like you said they'll learn that and will they implement it I think you're right it has to be embedded in the practice and make it standard but and this is it and you know one of the the first things that I did when I joined Monzo is like everybody needs training on accessibility it's non-negotiable like so when you join Monzo if you join tomorrow you would get mandatory accessibility training um it would be within the context of your role so you know you learn what you need to know and I think one of the things about accessibility and, and what can put people off is like this is it's a big beast oh my god I'm gonna have to know all this stuff and actually like if you do it within the context of somebody's work it's like well actually there's not really that much that you have to know um it becomes big when you get it wrong or you leave it too late but like um and it, it was interesting as well because when I when I joined Monzo um you know the whole time I worked in the public sector uh I could count on one hand how many times I was approached about like oh tell me more about what you do like accessibility like yeah it's you know I joined Monzo and honestly within the first like three days I was doing uh training myself I had like 45 messages from just people all over the bit like and I, this wasn't just product people this was like trainers managers senior leaders chief this like director oh, wow. of this like and I couldn't believe it I was like oh somebody's put them up to this like surely they can't they, they can't be that invested in this already but I think they were just crying out for somebody to come in who like knew this stuff and who had experience of like driving it to be like right well to, you know set us up in the right way like what do we need so um I've used Craig's um you know uh, Craig Abbott his uh I don't know whether you've read it but he's got a, an article around like an you know an accessibility strategy um I modeled the Monzo strategy around that approach like and it works it you know you're getting your culture right setting up some level of compliance and educating people as well so a huge part of what I've done so far is just being around like culture and educating people and you would think that the compliance side of it takes care of itself after that but we'll I mean we'll see <laughs> time will tell right <laughs> <laughs> yeah I hope maybe I'm still yeah. very naive because <laughs> no, that's brilliant and I think it is that isn't it you bring you're planting the seeds to then help people to grow themselves rather than you know just standing over them with a with a cane <laughs> you did that wrong like do it again I think it's um that might work but <laughs> we'll try this way first I think <laughs> and that's it but like you know I think one of the things I've learned over time is that not everyone's going to care about this stuff like you can do all the empathy labs you can show them stats you can do you know some people just don't care and yeah. you know that and where where i would you know where you have to take a different angle which i don't necessarily like doing is like talking about risk like reputational damage are you happy to take on that risk then yeah. and the chances are you start, start talking about risk and uh, reputational damage actually no i don't want to do that so yeah. there, there are ways around it and i think you know that it's just known when to use different tactics like 90 percent of people like nobody builds something trying to, to make it inaccessible they just often lack the the educate like the knowledge around how to actually do it um yeah. there's very few people or if anyone will go out of the way to create something that is inaccessible so definitely yeah it's quite hard to fathom because i think there's a lot of empathy in the accessibility space to think that there's people that wouldn't give a damn nearly yeah. um about it is is uh it's it's hard to sort of get your head around i suppose but i know so i know that a huge part of your role is centered around that strategy roadmap planning and implementation learning and development training workshops it's a long list but um as burnout's been discussed at length previously um i just across the whole field of access accessibility um i just wanted to know with your title, so obviously access lead at HMRC, and then you're pretty much well head of accessibility at Monzo. With that increased responsibility, that title, how have you managed to juggle that? As I guess you've you've kind of already answered this question, I suppose, just now with the strategy. But yeah, it, it it's difficult, and I won't say 
uh, for me, I haven't spoken to anybody who's got a silver bullet for this stuff. So, mm. you know, it's a, I said to you, I was talking to uh, Bev about this and I've talked to many other uh, accessibility people who are burned out. And I think we all find ourselves in the same position. Um, so what I've tried to do, um, and you know, we get into this because we care. And I think that's half of the battle as well. Like when you genuinely care about your work and you're passionate about it, like it can be very deflating. Like, you know, we are talking about the door getting slammed in your face and like, how many times can you realis- realistically do that before it starts to like impact on your confidence or your mental health? Um, and that's like a huge part of this as well. Right. But I, I think the way I've tried to do it at Monzo is like, I've got a roadmap. So, and you know, I would encourage other people to do this as well, because I think too many times, like we, um, we just take on too much and like, you know, they oh, can I just, can I, can I just this, can I just that? And everything's last minute. And, so what I've tried to do is like focus on, right, well, this is my roadmap. I've got, let's say two years worth of work. So understand like what you're meant to be working on versus what is business as usual versus what is just being thrown over the wall. Um, yeah. And for me, like it's been actually really quite rigid in like, you know, if I've got time, absolutely. I'll, I'll help with stuff. And like, in it's, I think Craig touched on this a little bit on his uh, podcast as well about like, like we just want to help people. And, you know, you don't want to be seen to be turning people away, but also like we have to manage this and manage our own workloads. And like one of the things that I've struggled with, you know, in my current role is like working too many hours. Um, and that's my fault. Like, you know, I, and that's because like often I'll be like, right, okay, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do, I'll do the thing. But actually like, you know, the last couple of months I've just been saying no and it's hard and you don't want to turn people away, but actually you need to for the, for the benefit of the work that you're actually meant to be doing. Yeah. Um, so I'll not explicitly be like, no, I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to help you. But like, if there's, you know, a quick something I can send them on Google or whatever, you know, like I'll, I'll try and be as light touch as possible with things like that. Um, but like for me as well, it's just learning, you know, a, a big part of avoiding burnout is like sort of learning to accept that everything's not going to go my way. So, you know, like if you can get comfortable with that and celebrate the small wins, like, you know, take the small wins and celebrate them, shout about them. Like, that's what this is about. I think too many people look at the big picture, like, you know, think big and then start big. Well, for me, it's like, think big, start small, like, and and try and do it that way. Um, Because it is overwhelming. And like so, so many times, I mean, these teams, like you've spoken to quite a few people now, like accessibility teams tend not to be big teams. There's like, you know, one, two, three, four, maybe it's five people. Like the one I had in government was the biggest one. Mm-hmm. Um, and it still was what wasn't without its problems. Like we, you know, there was all sorts going on. Um, and I think like, you know, another way I've tried to do this is just again, around the culture, like do, do people care about responsibility, uh, accessibility, like make it their responsibility. So, you know, use things like, when I joined Monzo, I immediately knew like four or five people from these DMs who were very interested in it. So it's like, right, well, how much of my workload can I share with them? So that's where you have things like Champions Networks, which, you know, they, they can go a bit stale, but I think if they're done right, like it can be a, a force multiplier for like the work that you're trying to do. Yeah. Um, but I think the biggest mistake <clears throat> I see people doing is just taking too much on. And then not being aware that you've took too much on, I think like it's very easy to keep saying yes. And then before you know it, it's like, oh my God, this is like painfully bad. And for me, like I lean a lot, a lot of it on people in this community, you know, like I've had phone calls with Craig late at night before and I've been stressed and I'll text them now and again saying like, you know, and I'll speak to other people, Jamie, I've got friends who like, you know, the thing is about this community, the accessibility community is like people genuinely want to help each other. Like, to try and solve similar problems and yeah. you know i would encourage anybody who's like on that sort of the line of burnout like if you do want to chat just drop me a dm like you know other people will t- try and help you figure things out um you know speak to people friends peers ask for help um one of the things that we did at hmrc to try and avoid burnout was like we had fabric weeks so my team, uh, the auditors were front end developers, so they weren't doing any development. They were just testing and nobody wants to do that. No developer wants to just be testing all day. No. So we would have like once every five, six weeks, there was a, an entire week where we would take no audits. Um, it was non-negotiable. The team just had a full week to 
build cool stuff like you know the github front end to see like you know and we would work on like passion projects or they could go and do some um self-learning and all that stuff and it really worked well it was difficult when we were grinding out audit after audit after audit but like everybody knew that that little like the week or two weeks sometimes it was that we would take a full two weeks um and we were fortunate to do that and i think like you know it's hard this line of work like you know, I'll, I'll, I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm always happy about the work that I do. Like, you know, I'm frustrated a lot of the time and I think that's very normal and acceptable. Like, and just like, be kind to yourself. Like if you feel like you're burning out, take some time off. Like it is fine to walk away from this for a little while. Like I've been off on the sick because of this, like, mm-hmm. and that's okay. Like, and you know, it's, I think it, it, it it's, it's a bigger problem well, not, not a bigger problem. It just is a problem because we care so much that we are passionate about this, that like, you know, this, this profession will ruin your mental health if you allow it to. Um, but it's also like the most re- rewarding job I've ever done, but also the most frustrating. <laughs> it's a very strange balance of things, isn't it? That's the thing. I think it's, <laughs> it is. um, and looking from the outside in, it's, it's, it is a bit mad. I think there are some people that will go, and it's not that they don't care or they just think, how on earth am I going to make a difference there? You know, but another thing to remember is, like you've said, celebrate the small wins. There's the, you know, the quote that everyone sort of uses in the community progress, not perfection. You know, there's, yeah. I don't think there's going to be such thing as per- perfection because it, it's not, it, you know, you're, 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 product or your tool might uh, be accessible for some but it might be it by nature inaccessible for other another group of people so um yeah. it is just constantly thinking about that and and making those taking those steps and small wins and uh but- and that that you know the the mistake as well that some people would make and some people being me like when i first started doing this like i wanted to fix everybody everything for everybody i'm like i can do this at a technical level i can and like you know, we are always going to be excluding somebody. You can create what you think is the most accessible thing, but we're always excluding somebody. And that is just the facts around it. And I think, again, if you just like, you know, I would talk about when I was at HMRC, like it's tax, it's complex language. A lot of it is like policy that can't be changed and like, you know, rigid rules around, like you cannot change the word and all this stuff. And it just, it creates barriers, you know, by, by doing it that way. And it's like, well, you know, start doing research with people. Stop focusing on a token blind person to test with a screen reader. Like, who is this particular service going to exclude? And go and do your research with those. So, you know, for tax, it might be people with dyscalculia, people with dyslexia, people with ADHD. Like, those are where you're going to get, like, the the most fruitful, like, data around accessibility. Um, and I think it's just trying to, like, shift focus away from compliance and, ro- and more around, like, what are the actual barriers that people are facing and, like, how do we solve for that? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, the th- I mean, like you say, you could you could have screen readers, switch controls, anything that works with your your products. But if it's written in complete technical jargon, then it's, you know, again, you just completely dis- like, you know, yeah. excluded such a huge portion of people. Um, madness. But it's, yeah, <laughs> we'll touch on everything, I think. Um, but so we've we've even discussed the recruitment uh, within the space previously on the on the podcast, and I think we've spoken about it before as well. Um, very mixed reviews on how it's being done. I've spoken to some people. Obviously, I'm speaking to candidates, people that are looking to get into the space, people that are currently interviewing, um, and obviously, it'd be nice if you had someone that knew accessibility, knew about you know what's needed rewriting job specs like you said that was done for the data and doing that for the private sector so that's what I'm hoping to be but so I'm trying to focus on all of that but do you have any pointers do you have any advice for me on how I can better serve the you know the general community from a higher but also from a candidate perspective have you had like people that have supported you in those um, sort of interview processes before yeah so I, I mean, a lot of recruitment processes are just inaccessible and outdated just purely because of the the SaaS or the software as a service that they use. So, you know, it that is a massive barrier to entry to a lot of people because they just can't actually apply because the thing isn't accessible to even get an interview. Yeah. Um, so that's like the, the first part of it. But I think like, you know, we talk about reasonable adjustments and in interviews and stuff like that. And like my position on it is like, 
we don't really, they, they shouldn't be reasonable adjustments. They should just be like how it is. So, um, I don't know, sending out interview questions beforehand, like, um, you know, why is extra, extra time, a, 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 a reasonable adjustment? Like, yeah, it isn't really, it should just be standard. Like if you want to get a good answer out of somebody, then give them time. Um, you know, a big one for me is around disclosing the salary. Like too many times I've had recruiters like, oh, we've got this really good job. And we briefly talked about it before we started this, but like yeah. there's so much discrepancy in accessibility salaries. Like, you know, you might get one job that's paying like 70 grand and you might get the, the same job description somewhere else is paying 20. Yeah. And it's like, well, hang on a second. So, but I, I, the reason why I say disclose the salary is because like, you know, a lot of marginalized groups like end up getting less pay. So um, you know, and I think if we keep hiding salaries, then those marginalized groups remain marginalized. So being transparent around that is something that, you know, I'll never apply for a job where they don't do that because I just think, well, yeah. why, why waste my time going through all that process just to, for you to potentially say, oh, well, there's 25 grand. Like, well, no, <laughs> um, you've not worked for years for that. No. <laughs> well, exactly. And maybe that's just me being a little bit obnoxious, but like, you know, technical tests are a big one for me. Like I was a lead developer. I would like to think I knew me stuff, but if you put me in the interview situation and ask me to recall code, like I'm going to look like a junior developer who hasn't got a clue. Like, and I just think I, I, I sort of understand why firms ask for them, but like it, there's just two, you know, some places are doing like three, four technical interviews or go, you know, go and spend four hours writing this full thing and just think, well, hang on why like where do i have that yeah, time and, and yeah yeah so and you know like the the main one that annoys me is just recruiters reaching out and you know asking oh sean do you want to go and be the head of hr where, where'd you get that from like i've never <laughs> like it just seems especially on linkedin it's really bad but <laughs> yeah i mean there's, there's just so much improvement to be made across the board i think around recruitment like um, not necessarily from a recruiter's perspective, but just like all of those systems and stuff are just like a yeah. big one that I see as well is, is around like, so let's say you have a blind person, they go through all the way through, they get offered the job. Um, and then we can't offer, or, you know, you can't offer them the job because, uh, your internal software just won't work with a screen reader. You've just wasted their time all the way through that process. No one fine well, you can't do it, but you know, in the in the view of diversity and inclusion, you've let them go through it and all need to let them down because of, you know, th this thing doesn't work. So I think, you know, there's a much bigger conversation around like setting up internally. I spoke a little bit about this on LinkedIn the other day, like firms need to start taking internal accessibility a little bit more seriously. Like, you know, the, the stats remain the same within your organization, like, and you can't, it's never going to change. If you, if you don't fix it, then you can't hire disabled people. Then, you know, it's, it's, it's a, a vicious circle, isn't it? And you're missing out on an incredible, credible research, uh, resource there. Um, yeah. those, you know, people with disabilities or, or, or those that may have additional needs are still some of the most fantastic and most amazing minds on the planet. So, oh. Regardless of, and, and yeah, like you said, like not just your user base and the people that are going to spend money on your platform or your service or your tool or product or whatever it is. It's also, like you say, you, you can build better with, you know, nothing with us without us sort of, you know, that another another quote out there. But um, yeah, it yeah. has to be that representation. But, you know, and what you have to remember as well is like a lot of people who go for accessibility jobs are, you know, disabled, neurodivergent, like, you know, yeah. it's, there's a lot of people in this space who meet that criteria. And if they're not getting the reasonable adjustments, like, well, that doesn't really set the tone for how it's going to go for the rest of their employment. If like, you know, you're treating them like crap on day one. So, yeah. um, I just think, you know, firms are getting better on it. Definitely. But this, like everything, I mean, I we could talk about this all day. Like if we just still could always be improving on this stuff. Yeah, and I think it is. It's like standard practice. It's my responsibility. Obviously, if I'm saying I'm going to focus in this space, I need to make sure that I'm getting that right and try and lead by example, you know, um, and hopefully that will it will create competition. It will make sure that there's other other recruiters in the space that are seeing that this is a viable area to, to make sure that we can help people find work, but also find the right talent and resources for their teams to grow this out. 
Um, yeah. But hopefully, yeah, if I can set an example, then that would be great. So that's why I'm asking for that that advice from the likes of yourself, which is good. Um, so you mentioned earlier that you travelled to Sweden recently to deliver a talk at Nexus Accessibility event. Was it just accessibility? Or was it just one of those sort of digital UX events? Yeah, yeah so it was a... Um... It was just focused on uh, accessibility. So um, it was people from the Swedish public sector. There was some people there from Swedish banks. Um, obviously, I've done both. So they were like, come and could talk about like how it's been approached in different ways. Yeah. Um, it was really good, actually. And it was the first. I, I do a lot of talks like internally and stuff. And it, But I, I always feel a bit like an imposter sometimes when I'm talking because a lot of this stuff, like everybody else talks about it. So like... If I'm going to talk about something, I want to be able to bring something new to this. Like yeah. I don't just want to be regurgitate what everybody else is saying because it it can become a little bit like that. And you know, I read the same articles over and over again. Yeah. Um. So I've always sort of just put myself off doing stuff like that. But I just think, you know, like if it's not for people like me and lead roles and like who are driving this stuff, if if I'm not going to talk about it, then like you know, why? like why you not? know like, like yeah, who is? why not yeah. exactly so <laughs> i was nervous for it but it, it went it actually went down really well and um oh, good. i just think it's it's in it's made us think well right i'll do more of this stuff now like you know it landed really well and yeah and that's i mean so like these those types of events and obviously i've mentioned that i went to accessibility scotland and like like thankfully yeah. my boss uh, helped to sponsor the event which was uh, an absolute honor um and it's obviously like you say there might be some regurgitation there might be some repetitiveness with these events um but it's raising that awareness you know you're trying to let people know the work you're currently doing what's being done what they can do differently um there were i think there's a quote unquote problem i mean it's the same with this podcast you know i've got you coming on here and you might be saying some of the stuff that but the people that weren't at nexus event or won't be able to see that content um hopefully we'll be able to hear you speak here so I think it is just churning it out and keeping it going, but yeah, the 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 problem, quote unquote, or air quotes, um, is that a lot of the audience or the listeners of this are people that are already aware or interested in or focused on working in the space. So it's trying to find that market. How do we grow that out? Do we need to partner with more design and product focused conferences and have an accessibility piece there? Or, you know, we need to just grow that presence, I suppose, everywhere. Because like you said, we need we need people in every team, really, don't we? Um, but what's, I mean, yeah. do you agree? Is, what's your view on that? Yeah, I do, I, I, I do. So, you know, if I refer back to, the start of this conversation like you know Kat McCauley was at a um something that was was nothing to do with accessibility and it got me hooked so um it definitely works by doing that I think um the problem about this is that there there aren't enough of us to go to you know the 200 conferences every <laughs> year or whatever so yeah um it, it's hard to do but I think like you know, we're seeing more of it. And I think when people learn, so, you know, my friend, uh, Laura Parker, so you might know Laura, she, uh, uh, there's a talk around dyscalculia. She was uh, one of the people behind the posters around designing for dyscalculia. She does uh, a lot of talks. She's a content designer by trade. Um, okay. And she, you know, has been talking about accessibility within the context of like content design and uh, particularly around numbers and stuff. Does a brilliant job, has been doing lots of talks at those events. So. You know, when people realize, oh, actually, this this applies to like what I do. Like we're seeing more people popping up at these events, going, "Oh, by the way, accessibility." Mm-hmm. Um, and most people, like you know, I, I would like to think that most of like tech is quite left leaning, so it's not a hard sell usually. Um, yeah. So, you know, I and and I suppose it's back on my previous point. Like you know, I should probably be doing more. Like you know, I've got a lot of experience in this. I've pretty much done it all now, and I think there's even if it is, you know, regurgitating some of the stuff that people might have already said, it still goes a long way, I think, on an audience that's never heard it before. So, yeah, um, and we've all got different experiences as well. Like, and I think one of the things that always comes out in conversations I have with like other people doing this is like, we're all still doing it differently and that's fine. Like, I love to learn what other people are doing, like what's working, what, what didn't work. Like, yeah. and I think like we're good as a community at like 
trying to sort of come up with some standards for this because you know the WCAG and all that stuff it's it's very hard and complex so um yeah I, I think we'll definitely see more of it but definitely you know I would love to see more around like training you know or like I would love to see a training conference where they talk about like disabled staff and you know how to do training for that like you know there's so there's yeah. so much opportunity in that space it's just I don't think there's enough people to actually go and continuously talk about this like all summer or whenever the, the conference season is yeah no absolutely and that's just, I mean it is it's tricky I think it's opening up a lot more because we can do some more fully remote conferences you know things like this as well I guess like uh if we yeah. can get some more podcasts going I I would love love to, to see that I know there are quite a few out there as well I know this isn't the only one about accessibility I'm going to do a piece on that as well because I, I want to do that cross promotion I don't want people to just think oh it's just this one this one guy you know doing a podcast but I think it's um it is just constantly talking about it I think that it's it, that helps with the mindset shift I think it helps with the culture it helps um just people just to spark that idea like what could I be doing differently um which brings me to the last question <laughs> um which I've tried to ask on every episode of the podcast and it is what are the simplest most cost effective and convenient ways that someone can implement more digital accessibility within their line of work and don't worry I know that we've spoken about all the different teams that need to be focusing on it but um yeah just just in yeah. general I say so interestingly actually when I was in Sweden um there was like a, a break in between and they put this poll thing on the screen and it was like um like what are some of what are the problems that the audience were facing so it was things like getting buy-in you know going beyond compliance um development capability um and budget and interestingly when we came back I was very surprised to see this but getting budget was the the one that sort of peaked that list and I thought it was going to be like getting buy-in or even develop capability. And this was like a winner by a country mail. And I think, you know, I mean, I can, do you want to know how much I've spent this year on accessibility? I would love to. <laughs> Less than a thousand pound. So, you know, it's, and I suppose, and by the way, I'm not saying that you you don't need budget because you do. Like the I'm about to spend four things, grand yeah. on an audit, but I think you know if you're just starting out and you're trying to make a case for accessibility, um, particularly or even get to a strategy, let's say, you know, you should be going out doing a gap analysis. Like what what are the problems? Where what are the problems that we intend to solve? Write your strategy. Like how are you going to do this? Create some project plans. Like there's a lot of this stuff that you can do without ever getting budget from anyone like and if you're interested that the the less than a thousand pounds was for kit for our um accessibility empathy lab um oh, right. so you know it was just buying some equipment for that um of course you know you are going to need budget if you need to fix things and bring more people in and all that stuff but i think what i'm trying to say is like it's not it's not a it's not going to stop you starting almost so you know you, you can get a long way with this stuff and you know launch a champions network like there are so many different things that you can get going and, and do a, a good job at before you need that yeah um but i think like you know if you if you are going to do this and to answer your question again like think big start small with this stuff like pick it you know what what are the real problems that your customers or your um people who use your service are, are you know facing and try and get involved at the right time like the earlier the better like we all know this like you know if and just if you are you know start embedding as many meetings as you can like when i joined monzo if there was a meeting i was in it like yeah. you know i was just there talking about this stuff right like unapologetically just waffling on about accessibility wherever i could <laughs> like you will be surprised at how much buy-in you can get just by doing that and getting in front of the right people yeah. um champions <clears throat> networks like you know in this community as well like lean on me lean on other people i've had so much help from people you know who work in this line of work uh, you know I, I don't think i would have been in the roles i'm in now if it wasn't for the likes of craig like craig's helped me with loads of stuff like an amazing guy um and you know like i'm i'll always try and get back as well i do mentoring with people like every now and again i'll put something out on twitter say like i'll, I'll mentor some people I've, I've got a few going now i'll do catch-ups with like other people who work in the line of work and i just think like we can solve things together like don't feel like you need to do this by yourself because this community is like brilliant 
Um, and you know, you can get a long way without having to worry about, Oh my God, I need like 3 million pounds to do this like amazing stuff. If it's done at the right time, you, you technically don't really need any money. Like it's only when they, when they do it at the end and it's all broke and then you need to go and fix it. All right. Okay. That'll be like 6 million. So, yeah. <laughs> and it is, yeah. you're so right. I think it's such a friendly and welcoming environment. And I feel that, um, like you say, doing that, you know, gap analysis at the beginning, just sort of understanding what the problems might actually be that people encounter. Or if you've got problems yourself, it might even help to gain that buy-in because you're like, well, I can't actually access this system that we work with because it doesn't work for me. So um, exactly. And there's like one question as well. Like if you were, you know, implementing anything into your work, whatever it is you're doing, just think while you're doing it, who might I be excluding by doing this thing? Like yeah. that one question will make you think, right? Okay, well, I'm, I've just written this 70 paragraph thing, right? Well, I, that's immediately going to be people with dyslexia, ADHD. Like, you know, just by thinking in that way, you will notice that you improve your work and make it more accessible by default, just by thinking actually, like, you know, this might not work for this person. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just, yeah, all text, all sorts of stuff. And I know that I've, I've not in this, in this podcast series, I've not introduced myself and, described myself or, or our guests and things uh, which I should really be doing but I suppose because it is such an audio only I know we have the um, the YouTube for the visual and the transcript as well but I feel like if people are just listening to this on audio they don't really necessarily need to know what we look like however if people are interested then I'm more than happy to start doing that so I guess that'll be something I'll put out there if people would like uh, descriptions of people that are joining us on the podcast um but cool so i guess um we've come to the end of the sort of formal questions so if there's anything that's of real importance to you at the moment are there any talks coming up or what you're doing at the moment at monzo if you'd like to share that with everyone then that would be great yeah so um i'm going to be going back to sweden in november uh nexa have kindly asked me to go back so I'm like really buzzing with that. Get to go to Gothenburg, which would be good. Amazing. Um, I've managed to get a really big gig next year that I can't really talk about yet, but that'll be coming soon. I'm always doing mentoring, trying to help people where I can. Like, you know, if you're on LinkedIn, Twitter, any of that stuff and you need help with this, like, or you just want to sound off, like, you know, drop a message. And the, the last thing that I'm working on as well is a, um, we've just started recording a podcast with uh, Jamie and Lion. Uh, oh, wow. Jamie Knight, um, which is going to be really fun, cool. Jamie is a a, a brilliant character. Uh, I love spending time with him, um, and that's going to be around like monotropism and uh, tunnels and not tasks. So, oh, okay. uh, want to look out for if you're interested in the new divergent, uh, new divergent content. Yeah, absolutely. I think that just sounds incredible. And Jamie is such an incredible person to speak to. Um, yeah. There's been on and off talks with with Jamie over the years of, try, of of asking him to come on this, but I kind of felt like I felt that imposter syndrome because he's got is it eighteen eighteen hundred seconds of autism? There was something he done with BBC oh, Sounds yeah, before. He's done... Yeah, I just thought I can't compete. I'm not going to ask him again. I'm just going to sort of leave it. But we'll maybe approach that another time. Maybe we could. Get a panel or honestly do it jamie is a lovely lovely human and he's just <laughs> amazing to spend time with so i'm almost certain that he would come and talk to you on this oh, he's he's a, he's a lovely lovely man yeah i'll definitely uh, get back in touch but that's brilliant so cool so to finish each episode with a quote centered around accessibility which is what i like to do and it's actually something that i actually heard um on ID24, uh, the 2023 conference has just finished. Um, and Neil Jarvis said, depending on which measure you use and which country you're considering, anything between one in four, one in five, or one in six people would count themselves as having a disability. That's a lot of people to close the door on. Um, there's a strong economic reason for not blocking access to potentially a quarter of your users. And that's just, it just sort of, in a nutshell tells you from that perspective if, if it's not the empathy side if it's from a business perspective think of your users you could be you know increasing by 25 percent um by doing this stuff but um thank you again so much for joining me sean and it's been an absolute pleasure it's always a pleasure speaking to you and um yeah really appreciate you taking the time out of your your day to to spend this last hour with me and uh hope you've enjoyed the chat as much as i have yeah 
it's been good. Thank you very much for uh, having us. No problem. And I'm sure we'll stay in touch. I'll get all of your like your, your LinkedIn and your Twitter and stuff uh, posted as links um, alongside the podcast. So if anyone wants to get in touch with you, um, I'll direct them there. But I'll double check which ones you want me to use first before posting them in case people start calling you at uh, lunchtime every day. <laughs> That's all right. But brilliant. Thank you again so much, Sean. And uh, yeah, take care. No worries. Another huge thank you to Sean for joining me on this episode. Hope you found that as insightful as I did. As mentioned, I'll make sure that links are provided for our LinkedIn and Twitter profiles for you to reach out with any comments or feedback. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you on the next one.